Hills Church. My name is Whitney Wiseman, and I am so glad to be with you all, whether you are joining us online or you are here in the room. We are glad that you are here. We are grateful for the opportunity to gather together. It is a great Sunday in Austin. Um, in fact, I can think of about 49 reasons that it is a good day to be in Austin today. But wherever you are, we're glad that you are here and joining with us. If we haven't met before, my name is Whitney, and I have been on staff here at Lake Hill Church for 13 years. Um, I am currently the Director of Spiritual Development, which basically means I helped people connect and grow. So if you are looking to connect into the life of Lake Hills Church, if you're looking to take your next step in your relationship with Christ, stop by the hub or scan the QR card in the seat back in front of you because we would love to help you do that. Um, that was just a shameless plug. Um, we, my husband and I, my husband serves um, at Lake Hills Church. He plays the keyboard a lot of Sundays. You might recognize him. He's not here today because he's playing at ACL this afternoon. So, big weekend for the Wisemans. Um, we have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, and we are so grateful to be a part of this church family. Over the last 13 years, I have served in different areas and different ministries on our staff. And in 2011, I was working as an intern with our student ministry. I was serving um, alongside then Kaylee Wilson, who is now Kaylee um, McDaniel. She and her husband Jordan oversee all of our next-gen ministries, so give a shout-out to Kaylee and Jordan. If you have kids or students, they are killing it. Um, but way before Jordan, it was me and Kaylee. And we um, were wrapping up a really great week of camp, and we found ourselves in a cabin with a group of sixth-grade girls. It was at the end of the week, and we were kind of talking about our takeaways and recapping the highlights, the fun things, the things that we've learned, and we were going around the circle. And this precious sixth-grade girl, with all the confidence in the world, tells us, I have learned a lot about God this week. But one of my main takeaways is that now I definitely know that God is an old man with a beard. And Kaylee and I just looked at each other, very confused. I am still perplexed at how she came to this very confident conclusion that God is an old man with a beard. But I love that she had this image of God in her mind because we all do. We all have these images of who God is, um, in our minds, and a lot of times those come directly from scripture. God, through scripture, gives us images and word pictures and metaphors to describe God and the kingdom of God. And one of the primary ways that God describes the kingdom of God, the family of faith, is a family, which is why we kicked off a sermon series last week called family style, where we are exploring the interconnected facets of the family and how God communicates God's grace and the gospel through those various dynamics and aspects um, of family. 
We talked last week about the value of family and about family values. We looked at Joshua, who was bringing his family, who was bringing the people of God into the land that God had promised them. And as he settles his family, he boldly stated, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. He named and exemplified what and who he would stand for in this new season and this new place and this new start for him and his family, for God's people. I love that in scripture we are identified as a family of faith. And I love being a part of this family of faith in particular. Now, I don't mean to brag, but we got a pretty good one. Turn to your neighbor and tell him we got a good one. We have a great family. I have personally benefited from this family. You guys dropped off meals when our babies were born. You have texted when we were sick, checking in on us. The ladies in my Bible study prayed for months and months and months and months that our kids would sleep through the night. You guys have showed up and checked on us in some of our lowest moments and you have shared in the joy of some of our best moments. No, and I know that I'm not the only one who has benefited from this family of faith because I have seen you guys show up for each other over and over again. You guys have shown up at the site of an accident. You have visited each other in the hospital. I've seen you change flat tires in the parking lot or jumped each other's cars, cared for each other's kids on the playground. I've seen a few of you respectfully disagree about some things, but all the while we have kept the gospel the number one thing. Now, we're not perfect, but we are family. One of the Bible's central metaphors for God is that of God as a parent. We, we talk a lot about God the Father and, and us as God's children, but Scripture gives us metaphors, gives us images of both God as Father and as Mother. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Isaiah 49, 15 says, can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these might forget, yet I will not forget you. These verses give us a picture of God as a parent who cares, who is compassionate, who is giving, who is vulnerable, and who is relational. God as a parent is one of many biblical metaphors, one of many images that God gives us, but it's a familiar lens for each of us through which we can see God and a familiar framework for which we can engage with God because as Pastor Mac reminded us last week, for better or for worse, everybody's got family. Now, while everybody does have family, I want to take a moment to acknowledge that we might not all be parents in this room, Perhaps you are longing to be a parent or you have lost a parent or you are in a strained relationship with a parent or a child. And so if you have some mixed feelings about this idea, this image of God as a parent, you are not alone. We see you and we love you. And more importantly, God sees you and God loves you. God's love knows no bounds. In fact, and the character of God. For those of us who are parents, this is a great reminder. But it doesn't matter where you are because this pattern of parental love informs how we engage with all people at every level. 
First, God's parental love is shown for us as God engages with us. As God teaches, God disciplines, God develops, God guides, and responds to our needs. Deuteronomy 32 verses 11 and 12 says, as an eagle stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, as it spreads its wings and takes them up and bears them aloft on its pinions, the Lord alone guided him, in reference to Jacob and the people of Israel. Here we see a parent who is engaged, a parent who directs and protects with boldness and with courage, a God who responds to our needs. God is not a, a clock, great clockmaker who winds up the clock and sets it on a shelf. Not a God who created the world and set it into motion and watches from afar. No, we have a God who is engaged with us in our very midst, who, who sees us and knows us and responds to our needs. Now, God's parental love for us desires our well-being, asking for our obedience to God's will and God's ways. Hebrews, 9 verses, Hebrews 12, 9 through 11 says, Moreover, we had human parents to discipline us, and we respected them. Should we not even more, should we not be even more willing to be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for good in order that we may share in his holiness. Now, discipline always seems painful rather than pleasant at the time, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, God desires and demands our obedience for our well-being so that we might produce fruits of peacefulness, of, of righteousness, so that we might reflect God's holiness to be the people that God intended us to be. There have always been natural consequences. From the very beginning, we see Adam and Eve had to be expelled from the garden. We see Moses, who wasn't allowed to enter the promised land because of his disobedience. We see Israel, who was subject to exile to foreign, in a foreign land and under foreign rule. But this is so important. God's motive, God's directive action is always out of God's love for us. This love realizes that we are our best self when we submit ourselves to God's will and God's ways. This love is not conditional. It is not based on our behavior. Rather, it is fully exemplified in Christ, and this love endures forever. This love meets us where we are and engages with us, responds to our needs. It does not abandon us to the consequences of sin, but it responds with grace in our greatest moment of need. We see that again throughout scripture, the rainbow and the covenant after the flood. We see how God liberated Israel who were slaves in Egypt. We see God's rescue of Israel from Babylonian exile, and ultimately we experience that ourselves when we receive salvation from our sins through Christ. God's responsive and engaging love for us is evident and apparent throughout scripture and in our very lives today. Second, God's love shows us just how much God cares for us. Isaiah 66, 12 and 13 says, and you, you shall nurse and be carried on her arm and bounced on her knee as a mother 
comforts her child, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In the midst of our suffering and in our times of need, God cares for us. God is concerned about us. The beginning of Exodus says that Israel cried out to God and God heard their cry and remembered his people. When uh, Hagar was expelled, ran away from Abram and Sarai's home, she encounters God in the wilderness and she identifies him as a God who sees. Throughout scripture, God is described as a shepherd who cares, who nurtures for his sheep. Jesus doesn't come in like a superhero and sweeps away all the bad. No, he comes first. He enters into our humanity. He takes on our flesh so that he may know our pain and suffering, so that he can stand with us, so he might sit next to us in our pain and know what we are feeling. And then, through the cross and the resurrection, offers us comfort and hope and peace and the fullness of salvation's victory. The caring nature of God is revealed through the death and resurrection. The empty tomb is a demonstration of God's costly care for us. God cares about us intimately and individually. In Luke 15, God is described as a shepherd who leaves the 99. We just sang a song about that, that last song. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. Luke 15 also describes God as a, as a woman who loses a coin and sweeps her whole house for it because she recognizes the value and cares that much about the one lost coin. Well, there are very few things in life that I care that much about. When I lose things, they're just gone forever. Like, either that or they will find me, but there's just like very little chance that I am going to find them. My husband, on the other hand, he cares a lot about everything, um, and so when things are lost, he must find them, which is very inconvenient when something is lost like before bed because we just, like, no one's sleeping until this lost thing is found. But um, it's very convenient when I lose my car keys. We don't have to buy a new car. If it was up to me, I'm like, well, car keys are gone. Got to buy a new car. Um, my husband, like, finds them. That is just a small image of how much God cares for us, right? That God would leave the 99 to go after the one, to, to search for each one of us, the woman who searches the whole house for the coin to bring it back. God also gives generously to us. That parental love is demonstrated in God's generosity to us. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. So not only does God give of God's very self, God sends the son, Jesus, to us so that God might give us eternal life. And if that wasn't enough, when we step into a relationship with Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says that you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Roman tells us that the, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. That never ceases to blow my mind, that God cares about us, that God is generous enough to give of God's very self to guide us, to help us, to give us comfort and peace and ultimately to give us grace. In the beginning in the garden, Adam and Eve walked hand in hand with God. They, this was the most intimate relationship, much like a parent and a newborn child. 
they, Adam and Eve were, were fully known and unashamed. They were fully nurtured and fully dependent on God. But then Adam and Eve, much like a toddler, said, no, I got it. And we stiff arm God. We do that in our lives over and over again. I am so guilty of this. I see it in my kids and I'm like, what? You don't, you don't know how to tie your shoes. You don't got it. Um, but they are like stubborn and persistent. And then I realize that I do the very same thing. No, God, I got this. And we create this separation. But God and God's generosity gives of God's self so that we might be brought back, so that what we lost in the garden might be restored and we might have a relationship with a God who engages, who cares, who loves us enough to give generously of God's very self to us and for us. The relationship between a parent and a child is one of the most personal of all relationships. Jesus exemplified that when he cried out and he prayed, Abba, Father, revealing the intimate status that they shared, the love that was between them, and Jesus' status as a son and an heir. And the Father transmitted that love to the Son, and the Son then transmits that love to all Christ followers. And then as Christ followers, we are called to transmit that same parental love into the world around us, to grow the community of Christ one life at a time, to nurture our families, and to grow this family of faith. So while we have examined the parental nature of God, this pattern of God's love and grace for us. The application of that is for all of us. Anyone who nurtures and leads, whether you are single, whether you are married, a social worker, a mentor, a teacher who cares about their kids, parents, leaders, bosses, this is for all of us. As Christ followers, we are called to be ambassadors of this parental love in the world. We are called to represent and promote God's love in the world. And this model of parental love that is revealed in Jesus gives us a pattern for living and engaging in relationship with God and with others. This life is built on small gestures that are repeated daily over and over again. And fearless mom, we call this rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat over and over again. But that is the nature of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like the yeast that the woman puts into the dough and it leavens the entire loaf of bread, the bread that nourishes her body and the bodies of her family. The kingdom of God is like the tiny mustard seed that is planted and grows into a great tree that becomes a home, a place of belonging, a place of hospitality for all of the birds of the air to nest. That is the nature of God. It is nurturing and hospitable. And if we follow this pattern of parental love, we can create this environment by first of all being self-expending. Now, I, my parents are so awesome. I'm so grateful for the family that I grew up with. I saw over and over again how much they gave of themselves for me. Actually, they continue to do that. I was. I saw my parents yesterday and my dad helped me wash my car and my mom was like, here, you should borrow this shirt. They are always giving of themselves. 
And it was evident that they, how much they sacrificed to create this place of belonging, this nurturing and comforting place for my siblings and I. But it wasn't until I became a parent myself that I realized exactly how much, well, may, probably tried to imagine how much. I can never really know. And, and we can never really know how much God cares about us, but we have this tiny glimpse, these relationships that God gives us that are tiny glimpses into how much God cares for us, how much God gave of God's very self for us. Now, I was looking up expend in the thesaurus, um, one, because I had a really great fourth grade uh, writing teacher, shout out to Ms. Brooks, and second, because um, Word kept trying to change expend to expand, and I'm really trying not to be self-expanding at the moment. And my favorite synonym that I came across when I was looking through this list in the thesaurus was to throw around like confetti. Now, self-expending can sound exhausting, especially when we're doing it of our, on our own accord we're doing it by ourselves. We give and we give and we give, and then we wonder what happens when there's nothing left. But when we give out of what we have been given, out of the life and the love that God has given us, that is when we can throw it around like confetti, and that is when things start to get fun and exciting. What if we lived our lives that, that revealed the generosity of God, that reflected God's goodness in the world? What if we, we gave of others like God gave us Jesus, like God gave us hope, like God gave us new life? And now I feel like, Oprah, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car. And instead of being exhausting, that's very empowering. This is when it gets fun, when we throw God's goodness and God's parental love around like confetti, when we throw God's grace around like confetti, even on our drive to work when we throw God's love and goodness and patience around like confetti. That is when things get fun and exciting and start to sound like a party, and everybody loves a party. Because of what we have been given in Christ, we can do that. We can throw God's love and God's goodness around like confetti. We can freely give to others because of what we have been given. We can share our lives because we have been given new life, life to the full. And in this way, the party never ends. Our pattern of parental love is also communicated to others as we are other upholding. Philippians 2, 4 says, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Paul is painting a picture here of mutual care that reflects the care that God has for us. The next verse says, let your attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So when we care for our children, we are helping them to grow and to become the people that God has called them to be. But this isn't just limited to a parent and child relationship. The same applies to all of our relationships. When we care about others, when we uphold one another, we are helping one another become the people who God created us to be. It takes all of us to be the body of Christ. Now, this is the opposite of using others to satisfy our own needs. Rather, care is a process of relating to others in a way that is mindful of their needs, mindful of their growth, of their potential, and their value as a child of God. In caring for others, we point beyond ourselves to a greater reality, to a God whose parent who loves and cares for us eternally. 
Now, there's a story in Exodus chapter 17 where Moses is leading God's people and they are attacked by the Amalekite army. God tells Moses to go up to the hill and to hold up his staff. And as long as Moses is holding up his staff, holding up his arms, Israel is winning the battle. But anytime his arms drop down, the Amalekites take new land. Now, Moses' friends, his brother Aaron and friend Hur, H-U-R, not H-E-R, though Moses was surrounded by a lot of really strong women. But in this case, Hur and Aaron saw a need. They saw a place where they could step in and help, where they could be used by God for everyone's benefit. And they bring a stone for Moses to sit on. And they hold up his arms for the rest of the day until the battle is won. It took all of them. God used all of them as they considered each other's needs and what would be best for God's people to uphold one another, to build one another up to the people that God created them to be. Third, this pattern of parental love plays out as we are community building. Our vision is to grow the community of Christ one life at a time, to increase this family of faith. The uh, widely known and well-dressed theologian Harry Styles says, you can start a family who will always show you love. And that is what we are trying to do here. We are not perfect, we do not always perfectly communicate God's love, but our hearts beat for others to know that perfect love, to join this family of faith so that they might know God's grace and God's goodness. If you haven't been out to the Community First Village that's run by Mobile Loaves and Fishes, you have got to go out there. If you're not familiar with Mobile Loaves and Fishes, um, you can contact Natalie Rolf, she's on staff, or you can scan your QR card. Um, Mobile Loaves and Fishes is a ministry where we serve the under-resourced and those who are experiencing homelessness. We bring them food and clothes. They also have a branch where they um, have a neighborhood, where they are literally lifting people up off of the streets plugging them in to a community, to a family, a place where they can belong, where they can thrive, where they can regain the things that were lost. And one beautiful thing about this community is that all of the houses have front-facing, have porches that face one another. And so everyone knows their neighbors. They see when their people are coming and going. They notice when there is a need. They check on each other. They care about each other. Now, I recently learned that this model is nothing new. In fact, this model for living in community and family existed in the time of Christ. These buildings, these clusters of buildings where families lived together were called insulas. They were created around a central courtyard where aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents all lived together, served each other, cared for each other on a daily basis. Now, <clears throat> these insulas also continued to grow as the family would grow. As the son found a wife, the father would oversee the son building on, building a room onto this insula. And the father would watch because it was the father who knew what it took to build and to keep a home, to cultivate community and to nurture a family. And the father would tell the son, okay, now the room is ready. And at this point, the excited groom would go and get his wife and bring her to her new home, to her new family, to her new community. 
Jesus used this image of the insula, these buildings that existed, connected, where families loved each other and lived together. When he said, in my father's house, there are many rooms and I am going there to prepare a place for you. Jesus is, he uses this word picture to present himself as the bridegroom who would go and bring us as Christ followers into the house of God, into the family of faith. And by using this familiar imagery of the insula, he helps Jesus' followers, he helps us to understand the kingdom of God as a household of faith as a place where God's family lives in close, tight-knit community, where it grows, where we build on to the point that the limit does not exist. How many rooms this insula, this house of God could have? This stands in stark contrast to our individualistic society. This is a model that is attractive. When people see this, they notice and they want to be a part. We have room to invite them in. But we cannot do these three things alone. We cannot do them apart from God's grace. We must first understand that Jesus has given us of a, his very self. And he died and he rose again on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And when we encounter this sort of grace, it transforms us. It changes the way that we engage with God and with one another. God has this grace for us today. Not grace enough to cover just your past mistakes or grace that waits for you in heaven one day. No, God has grace for us today in this very moment. Grace that meets you right where you are. Grace that covers your darkest parenting moment, that covers your loneliness, your regret, your inability, your pride. Whatever you are carrying today, God's grace is sufficient for that. Would you bow your heads? God gives us this grace, but God also gives us a choice and to respond a choice in responding to this parental love. We have the freedom to accept or reject this love. Luke 13 says, "How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing." Here, God gives us a picture of a father who longs to give care, to give and receive affection, but gives us the freedom to choose. That love and grace is available for us today. It is ours for the taking. So whatever you are walking for, you in this moment can exchange that burden for God's grace. And if you haven't yet stepped into a relationship, if you haven't made that choice we want to give you the opportunity to do that for the first time, right where you're sitting, silently. If you say a prayer that sounds something like this, God, we need you. We cannot do this apart from you. God, we need your grace. We accept your gift of grace, forgiveness in our lives. God, we choose to follow you, Lord, with all that we have. We accept this parental love. We ask that you would transform our lives, that you would make me the person that you have created me to be. God, I love you. I'm grateful for your forgiveness. I choose to follow you. 
with everyone's head still bowed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, we as a family are so excited for you. This is the best decision that you have ever made. We wanna walk alongside of you. We wanna celebrate with you. We wanna help take your next steps with you. We also wanna help you mark this moment, the moment that you stepped into a relationship with God, where you joined this family, where you adopted into God's family of faith. And you can do that by raising your hand right where you are, just marking this moment. And we have a tradition around here that as you put your hands down, we put our hands together and tell you, welcome home.